The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. If you have your Bible, go with me to the book of Matthew. So last week we finished Matthew chapter 9, which was a section that we tackled over the last few months. Matthew chapter 8 and 9, as you know, records a cluster of miracles of, of Jesus. And so we finished that. We're moving today into chapter 10, but uh, I'm doing something a little odd for me. You know, normally I've been going kind of verse by verse. <clears throat> today, I'm going to actually, um, I'm going to jump down to chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. I will not be here next week. Uh, Pastor Kenny Clay is going to be here, and you don't want to miss it. Uh, I'll be officiating a wed- wedding in Tucson. And so the following week, God willing, I'm going to come back and I'm actually going to preach the entire chapter of uh, in chapter 10. It's about the commissioning of the apostles. And so I just want to tackle it in, in one Sunday, but just felt really compelled to, to preach these particular verses this morning. And so, again, it's a little strange for me, but sometimes the Holy Spirit moves us in different directions. And so that's the direction I, I sense that I need to go this morning. So, If you have your Bible or your smartphone or iPad or whatever, uh, stand with me. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 10 and then go down to verse 37. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus speaking says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord and you may be seated. I know that I've prayed quite a bit already this morning, but I do want to take a moment. I just sense this is a word for somebody, and I uh, hope it's a word for all of us. But I just want to, want to pray and ask that we would be open uh, to the voice of God's Spirit this morning. Lord, I am so humbled to be able to, to preach your word. Who am I to, to do such a, a thing? I pray that... Lord, you would give me that which makes preaching easy, and that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. My words will not change anybody's life. Yours will. Let me be faithful to preach your word this morning. Cultivate our hearts so that they are receptive to what the Spirit would say to us through your word today. And may we not just be hearers of your word but may we be doers. I pray if there's one in here today or one watching online that they don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day of salvation. For the one who's deceived into thinking he or she is a Christian and is maybe a counterfeit Christian, may the veil be removed. May they cry out in repentance today. We pray, Father, my heart is so ready for your return. 
But we thank you, Lord, that you are not willing that any should perish. And so, in this time, you could come back at any, any point to consummate your kingdom. But Lord, until then, we pray that many would come to know you. And I pray not just for those hearing my preaching today, but for those all around the world who are hearing the gospel preached. May many come to you today in faith and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've moved throughout the book of Matthew, we have talked in great depth about the kingdom of God and what it means to live as people who are part of God's kingdom. When you and I come to Jesus in faith, we move from the kingdom of this world, or you could say the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light, which means now we have a new king. We are no longer on the throne of our own lives. It means that we submit to King Jesus. We follow wholeheartedly after him. And as kingdom people, we live solely for the glory of God. As kingdom people, we are to live solely for the glory of God. Now when we talk about the word glory, what, what we mean is magnificence or splendor. And so when we talk about the glory of God, we are talking about His majesty, His magnificence, His splendor, His beauty, His infinite worth. That's what we're supposed to live for. But you know, because we are still living in a fallen world, living for the glory of God, I think you can attest to this, it's a daily battle. Who's with me? Because there are many things, if we're honest, people, many people, places and things that are vying for our attention, our allegiance, and our worship. Wonderful pastor and author by the name of Paul Tripp writes about this topic in a book that I highly recommend to you entitled Sex and Money, in which he says, quote, that life this side of eternity really is one big unceasing glory battle. Life this side of eternity really is one big unceasing glory battle, end quote. You know, God has hardwired you and me for glory. You just look back to a week ago, Super Bowl Sunday, when people paid Tens of thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars, well over $10,000 to attend an event called the Super Bowl. To watch a ball be thrown around and people, uh, men be thrown to the ground. Right? <laughs> and a halftime show, I mean, people went nuts over this. And the... The truth is, friends, we are hardwired for glory. We, yesterday, how many of you watched the UK game? How many of you came out of your seats and were yelling and screaming and cheering? 
That's how we act in our house when UK is playing, right? You were with me. But we're hardwired for that. Let me, let me just give you another example, and I've told you this before, but I lived in Greeley, Colorado, pastored there for about six years, and I will never forget one of my f- first days in Greeley, Colorado. And you know, Greeley was very, very flat, so you could see for miles. But I remember um, driving and I was pulling out of my neighborhood and then going west towards Loveland, Colorado. And there was one hill that, even though Colorado was, that part of Colorado was really flat, there was one hill. And when you go up it, it's like all of a sudden it just comes out of nowhere. From the distance, you can see the beautiful snow-capped Rocky Mountains. And I will never forget that, that image of driving um, that road for, for the first time. And I, if I remember correctly, my eyes just kind of welled up with tears. And I was just overwhelmed about the, the majesty of these mountains. What's interesting is I, in Colorado, I had a, a really amazing German shepherd, and she would often go places with me. She didn't care about those mountains because animals aren't like that. But we humans who are created in God's image, we are created, we're hardwired for glory. But friends, can I tell you this? When I saw the Rocky Mountains, I didn't bow down and worship the majesty of the mountains. And some people do that. You know what those mountains are meant to do? They are supposed to point me on to something much greater, namely the glory of God, the one who created the mountains. Amen? We were never meant to worship created things. We, we call these things in life that are good things. We, you know, marriage, relationships, um, money. Money's neither good nor bad, but it's helpful. Uh, possessions, I mean, you know... Some possessions, you know, nothing wrong with having some nice things, but we, we talk, you know, about education, the, the created world, I mean, your favorite vacation spot. These are all what we might call created glories. But those created glories are not meant to satisfy our hearts. They, they, they're great to enjoy, but they make horrible gods. Those, every one of those, we call them created glories. Uh, Tim Keller would call them counterfeit gods. Your spouse, by the way, is supposed to be a blessing. But your spouse is not supposed to bear the weight of Savior, your Savior. Some people, uh, single people, they're like, man, I've got to get married because that person's going to complete me. I've got news for you, friend. Only Christ can complete you. Created glories are supposed to serve, yes, we're, we're supposed to be awestruck by them, but then not worship them, not stop there. To look beyond those things is what we're supposed to do and to worship the true and living God. There's one created glory that we have to fight, or, or a certain glory that we have to fight more than any, and I would call that the glory of self. Self-glory. There's nothing good about self-glory. To follow Jesus, we see in our text today, is to no longer bow to the idol of self. It's to live wholly and fully, not for our own glory. Not so that people will see our greatness, but so that they might see the greatness of Christ. 
Let's look at Matthew 10, 38 and 39. Whoever, Jesus says, does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Paradoxically, it's only when we surrender our life to Jesus that we actually start living. Our culture tells us, you know, you, you do you, right? That's a motto for today. And that's when you live. It's like, no, it's when you live for Christ. When you die to self, that's when you actually start living. So I want to entitle the message today, The War on Selfie. The War on Selfie. In 2013, the word selfie became the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year. 2013. Listen to this. Google reported in 2019 that its Android devices take 93 million selfies per day. Just Android. New studies show that the average person, listen up, takes more than 450 selfies per year. Some of y'all have too much time on your hands. Hunter. (laughs) I'm not suggesting that we never take pictures of ourselves, but I do think this obsession with taking self-photos is perhaps a signpost that points us to our obsession with self-indulgence and self-glory. Who's with me? Is that fair? For honest, we like people to see us, to recognize us, to applaud us, to see our efforts. I'll say it again, you and I were not made for our own glory. We're made for the glory of God. Genesis 1.27 tells us that we were created in the image of God. In other words, that means that we were called, Adam and Eve first and foremost were called to reflect God's glory to this earth, this creation. How did Adam and Eve do with that? Horribly. What did they want? They wanted their own glory. They wanted their own dreams. They wanted to follow their own hearts. And so instead of being about God's glory and walking in obedience, what did they do? They turned from Him. They disobeyed and they paid the consequence. And by the way, we're still paying the consequence today. So that God-bearing image because of sin, it's been tainted. But you know, Jesus has saved us, by the way, not so that we could just go to heaven. That misses the point of the Christian story. God is restoring, renewing the earth. Yes, heaven is a beautiful place. I believe in heaven, but that's not the end story. He is going to renew this earth, and we are going to live as we were purposed to live on the earth. And by the way, that mission is not just future. It is right now for God's kingdom people. We are to live. We are to be God's image bearers now. This is really clearly seen. I want you to go to the book of Ephesians with me, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Okay, we have been adopted. We are sons in Christ. And here's why. According to the purpose of whose will? His will. Why? To the praise of His glorious grace. We are saved for His glory that we might again bear His image. As kingdom people, you and I are to live for the glory of God. Now, most of us understand that theologically. We understand how detrimental it is to, to seek self-glory. I think we could all agree on that. But many of us, here's what I fear. We don't see that sin of desiring self-glory creeping into our lives. So I want this morning to give us quickly five signs of this desire for self-glory. Five signs for this desire of self-glory. Number one, the first sign that I desire some level of self-glory is this. It's that I want to follow God's will only when it is convenient for me. I want to follow God's will only when it is convenient for me. There are many people who say they want to follow the Lord. They claim to be Christians. They want to be, as we like to say around here, real followers of Jesus. But they still oddly want the freedom to do their own thing. Their attitude is something like this. I will yield myself to Christ in as much as it doesn't interfere with what I want to do. With the sins I want to hang on to. With my own dreams. With my own hopes. Friends, it doesn't work like that. To follow Christ, hear me, it is no less than to lay everything down your entire life at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said, repent. Repent and believe the gospel, which means a complete turnaround. It's a 180. It's to go in the opposite direction, to go from you being on the throne and to wholeheartedly now follow God and say, I am no longer on the throne of my life. I'm going to follow you even if it costs me my life. I'm willing to take my cross and follow you. Matthew 10 makes this very clear. Verse 38, whoever does not take his cross, Jesus said, he's not worthy of me. What are the implications? It's I've got to embrace God's will at all costs. When I base my decisions on what I want rather than what God has commanded me to do, I am choosing, friend, my own comfort. My temporary pleasure over God's glory and His will. So number one, first sign that I'm after self-glory is that I only follow God's will when it's convenient for me. Number two, the second sign of self, this desire for self-glory is doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Like motive really matters. Have we not seen this in Matthew? Over and over through the search. You know what? If you're still lusting over another person, you're breaking still the spirit of the law. 
doing the right thing for the wrong reason. See, it's, it, it deals with motive, and, and that can be a sign of self-glory. We saw this very clearly in Matthew chapter 6. So if you would flip back with me, Matthew chapter 6. What we see here is a great example of what it looks like to do the right, even spiritual things, for the wrong reasons. Jesus gave three examples of how the hypocrites do religious things for their own glory. Number one, he talks about giving for the wrong reasons. Look at verses 1 through 3. Beware, strong word, of practicing your righteousness. And he's talking about charity here before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let the left hand know what the right is doing. Friends, when we give of our resources and time, we must really pray and check our motives. We ought to guard against uh, announcing it on social media. Or calling somebody and, and, and saying, listen, I just want to tell you, I, I like how we start these conversations. I was just so humbled to be able to give $10,000 to this charity today. <laughs> you're not humbled, you're proud. When you have to start a, a social media post or a phone call or a conversation with, I'm so humbled, you might not want to, you just might want to avoid that conversation over to, altogether. When we give, you know, Let's just be real. Often we want to we be seen. We want somebody to recognize us. That's the human flesh that we have to fight against, but we do have to fight against that. Secondly, Jesus talks in Matthew 6 about praying for the wrong reasons. Look at verses 5 through 7. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the streets' corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So this morning, have we broken God's rules by praying corporately? No, the Bible makes room for that as well. But I, I would always say this. I, I say this frequently. Don't do in public what you're not willing to do in private. If the only time that you're willing to pray these wonderful prayers is when you're in front of other people, you might have a self-glory issue. It's, worth, it's a red flag at least. Then he finally talks about fasting. Fasting is one of the most difficult spiritual disciplines there is. He says, when you fast, verse 16, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by other people. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. Again, fasting, great discipline. But don't go around saying, hey, you know, disfiguring your face, and so people go, hey, what's wrong? Oh, you know. I'm just fasting. You went two hours without a meal. Come on, somebody. <laughs> By the way, pet peeve of mine here in... Let me just, yeah, be careful here. Um, <laughs> gluttony tends to be an issue, right? 
And so when I talk about doing church-wide fast and stuff, they're like, well, can I just fast social media? I'm like, no, fast food. No, not fast food. <laughs> um, go without food for a, a season. It's good for you. So one of the signs of self-glory is wanting others, hand me my phone if you would, um, it's, it's wanting others to, to see us, and it's the, doing the right thing for the wrong reason. So let me just, interesting how the Holy Spirit works. By the way, when I preach sermons, I'm preaching first to, to, to Chris May, okay? I promise you. So my, my uncle and my mentor, he's a pastor at Johnson City, sends me this text this morning. He says, this is a commentary on Hebrews 13, 7. And this commentator writes this, so he sends me this, I'm reading through it. What is the clear implication of this to, to present-day preachers? This is about preaching, all right? Is there not here a searching word for heart and conscience? Is your ministry, so here's the question, is your ministry worthy to be stored up in the hearer's minds? Are your sermons worth remembering? And as I'm reading this, I'm going, man, I put a lot in my sermons. Yeah, I'm thinking that's the right answer. Let me read on. He said, the humble, uh, the humble-minded will be ready to answer no. <laughs> Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. He says, there is little or nothing in my simple and homely discourses deserving to be treasured up. Ah, brother preacher, it's not clever analysis of difficult passages which exhibit your mental... Uh, skills, nor lofty flights of language which display your rhetorical powers that is of lasting worth. Rather, it is that which makes sin to be more hated, God to be more feared, Christ to be more highly valued, the path of duty more clearly defined, which is what we are to aim for. You talk about difficult fighting this need, this desire for self-worth, self-glory. Stand in my shoes. Two reasons, I think, for that. One, um, through 20 years of ministry, you, you get pretty beaten down. Thankful to God for you guys who don't do that to me. But that happened a lot, and sometimes you try to, you need people to tell you, hey, good job, way to go, kind of thing. But the other reason is, is kind of on the opposite side, and it's that sometimes people tell you how great you are, and tell you what a wonderful preacher you are, or how much you, you care, and how compassionate you are. If you're not careful, if you don't point people beyond yourself as a preacher, or anybody else for that matter, onto the glory of God, you can begin to believe it, and you can begin to crave it. And so I'm not preaching at you today. I'm, I'm preaching for our own, all of our benefit. We all have to fight it. So you have this uh, one sign of self-glory, then, is this inability to see God, or excuse me, uh, this false motive. The third one, third um, sign of this desire for self-glory is an inability to see God's ongoing work of grace in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, or excuse me, 15, verse 10, Paul writes, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but it was the grace of God that was within me. When self-glory, this need for self-glory creeps into our lives, we tend to forget where God brought us from. We tend to forget that we are who we are by the grace of God. And what happens, we begin to, to take uh, credit for our talents and our, uh, you, you know, our, our knowledge and our understanding and, and all of these different things. And then also we become very judgmental towards others who aren't where we are, so to speak. And we forget where God has brought us from or what he's even shielded us from. Got to be careful here. In one letter, Paul reminds believers that he was he calls himself the worst of sinners or the chief of sinners now here in first corinthians he says i am what i am by the grace of god god's choosing me to be in this platform today it's not because of talent it's not because of worth i've told you i probably was the most unlikely candidate in my youth group to be in in ministry vocational ministry so if we forget, if we forget our need for God's grace, if we think, man, I've got this from here, I've arrived, that's a sign of self-glory, desire for self-glory. Number four, the fourth sign of, of this desire for self-glory is an inability to see my own shortcomings. People who desire self-glory cannot stand to be wrong. They, can't, they just can't take it. They can't stand to see some kind of deficiency, some shortcoming in their own life. Second Samuel, you, you'll remember this kind of infamous story of King David, who is, by the way, called a man after God's own heart, but he got entangled in this desire for self-glory and his image. And you remember he, he was looking out onto this roof where Bathsheba, this lady by the name, married woman by the name of Bathsheba, was bathing. And he said, I want her. And as a king, he summoned her, her, summoned her and he uh, called her to himself and he slept with her and she uh, became with child. And when he found out, instead of repenting and being horrified at what he had done, what did he do? He covered his tracks. That's an understatement. He had her husband put on the front lines so that his murder would look incidental. Even then, David could not see his own sin. He was so saturated in self-glory and self-deception. I'm the king. I've got God's blessing. I've arrived. It wasn't until Nathan the prophet came to him with, with this kind of parable that David's eyes were opened. And he finally repented and his heart was broken. You know, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. How are you doing with that? When's the last time you have confessed one of your shortcomings, one of your sins to a trusted brother or sister in Christ? I grew up in a large church that we never liked to talk about this. Matter of fact, I grew up thinking we were the only family with issues because everybody in there looked perfect. I've since found out we were actually one of the, <laughs> maybe we had our stuff more together than most people. It's one of the reasons, very seriously, why we named this church Real Life Community Church, because we want to be transparent. We want you to know that we're none perfect. We strive for holiness, but we all have shortcomings. Number five, 
fifth sign of self-glory, this desire for glory of self, is a refusal to receive correction, which just dovetails off the last point. People who are after self-glory, um, they, they just won't be corrected. They're, they're defensive. They're easily offended. They're always the victim. Not only will they fail to see imperfection in themselves, they, they won't admit they won't admit that imperfection when it's pointed out by other people. And in Proverbs 12, 1, I want to read this. Did you know the word stupid was in the Bible? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. He who hates reproof is stupid. You know, one of the greatest frustrations of ministry in the 21st century, you know what it is? It's that people don't want to be pastored. Oh, they want to hear sermons, they want to sing, they want to be entertained, but they don't want to be pastored. Because pastoring, you know what uh, one of the main duties of a pastor is? I mean, you, you think of a shepherd, right? That's what pastors are, they're under shepherds. You know, you had the rod and the staff. We all need beatings from time to time, right? <laughs> Touch your neighbor if that's them this morning. I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll take orders. Um, but in all seriousness, listen, um, it's tragic in, a, in the American church that it is so difficult to actually pastor people. Every one of us have trouble sometimes seeing the sin in our own heart. I had a lady uh, come to me a few years back and said to me, she was a member of our church, and she said, shared with me these, this horrible sin that she was involved in and said, you know, I don't feel bad for it. I just want to let you know. And I said, well, ma'am, um, we're going to have to meet with the board on this because this is actually a, a big deal. You can't be a member of a church, this church and, and live like this. She said, so she didn't say much, and I got an email just maybe a day or so later. She said, I want to redraw, uh, remove my membership. Um, she said, there's another church I'm going to go to where they don't preach on this stuff. Friends, part of my job as an under-shepherd is to fight for your life. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. If you don't want to be pastored, you're in the wrong church. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not the sin police. And by the way, I have accountability here too. Because I need it as well. I'm not above it. You see something in my life, there's an open door. You come tell me. If you will not accept accountability, if you cannot allow others to point out faults out in your life, it might be a sign that you are hungry for self-glory. In closing, when I live for the glory of self, when I'm all about me, guess who I'm hurting? Me. Here's what I'm saying when I live for my own glory. I'm saying momentary pleasure is more valuable, more satisfying, more beneficial than the lasting eternal satisfaction and rewards that God gives. I'm looking to created things for something that only the creator himself can give me. Do you see any of these areas, these signs of self-glory in your own life? Do you have trouble obeying God's word when it comes, when it affects your momentary pleasure or comfort? 
Do you do religious things so that others will see how spiritual you are? Do you have trouble seeing the continuing work of God's grace in your life? Do you have trouble seeing your own shortcomings? Do you have trouble receiving correction? You might have an issue with self-glory. How do we fight it? Number one is honest reflection, and I pray that you'll do that before you leave today. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you anything that, that you know, if, if you are seeking your own glory, you're trying to steal God's glory, if you are in this glory war, ask the Holy Spirit to help you today to see those things. Once you've done that reflection, I would encourage you to get accountability. Find another trusted brother or sister in this place whom you can confess your sins. If you're a guy, find another guy. If you're a lady, find another lady. Let me be very clear about that. And by the way, accountability takes some level of vulnerability. And I know some of you have been hurt in the past, and I don't want to discredit that. You've shared something. I've shared some things that have been used to, to harm me. But it's worth the risk of being hurt again. Get a trusted brother or sister. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. How do we fight self-glory? We do it through the Word. Saturate yourselves with the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture, Paul says, is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's what's good for training, for reproof, for correction. And finally, pray. There's a quote that I read in part 18 of this series. We're on part 35 now, so it was several months ago, a few months ago. But I think it goes so well with what I'm talking to, what I'm teaching today about created glories and, and worshiping other things and being uh, trying to get other things in this world to satisfy our hearts. This is a uh, part of a speech given by uh, David Foster Wallace, the novelist. Not long before his suicide, um, he spoke these words to the 2005 graduating class at Kenyon College. I want you to hear these, these words. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what, where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing you, uh, when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. He goes on to say, but the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They're our default setting. There are many things in this world, yourself included, that are vying for your allegiance and your worship. They will leave you broken. If you give them that worship, they will leave you broken. They will leave you disillusioned. 
they will leave you crushed. Only God can satisfy your heart and his kingdom people. We are to let the world know that. We are to point others beyond ourselves and on to his glory. It's not optional. May it be so with every one of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how wonderful you are. How glorious, how majestic, how beautiful. You are of infinite worth. Who are we that you are mindful of us? What a lie we have believed. We can run our lives better than you can. That we can manage our lives better than you can. What a lie we have believed. That we can satisfy our own hearts or that any other created glory. The glory of sports, the glory of sex, the glory of marriage, the glory of the creation, that any of those things can bring us satisfaction. Remove the blinders from our eyes today that we might see that it is only you who can satisfy. There's one here that is not truly living for you. They're not obeying you. They're not a real follower of Jesus. May the Holy Spirit reach them right now. Compel them to repentance. May it be for your glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.